everybody, and welcome back to our mutual favorite podcast, OK Ringo. I'm Edward Bell. And I'm Harrison Garcia, and today the ship is really sinking. And we don't mean it metaphorically. That's right, folks. We are literally on a boat right now, and we are sinking to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean as we record this. If you can hear this message, consider this our SOS. Please save us. We are at... 41.7325 degrees north. And that's 49.9469 degrees west. Please save us. Seriously, we're running out of air. This is going to start to be a problem very quickly. That's uh, that's the coordinates of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> did you look that up? Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> God damn it. That's way too much work for this stuff. I, it took four seconds. I was like, where did the Titanic sink? <laughs> Yeah, well, and now we're having to commit to this for 30 <laughs> seconds. This is, this is the intro? This is what we're doing? Yeah, I guess. I mean, this is this is what we've come to. I can't believe we're still doing it 17 bits later. Truly sinking. This is, I mean, it started off as a metaphor, and now it was literal. That you might dig if you're if you're interested, I'll lend it to you. Uh, it's called Accidental Revolution, and it's about the basically rise and fall of uh, grunge music. And so, because of that, I've been doing like deep dives into grunge, like not Nirvana, because there's actually not that much to listen to. And I'm there's only like two or three albums. With that. Yeah, yeah, there's only a couple albums anyway. But mostly, what I've been doing is going back through some of the older bands that are mentioned in here. Like, uh, there's a chapter or two about the band that basically everyone but eddie vetter was in before pearl jam was a band called green river which is not very good but like you can totally hear pearl jam about to happen Some did you realize how things, hipster you're becoming though right like i'm I listening know, to bands even before they're good i know i like dude, their stuff so before bad. they're good <laughs> it's so bad dude well and then like the last two days i've done a deep dive into pearl jam which is interesting because they really stopped being good about four albums in. Um, sure but i mean where I'm from, they still play all that shit, and they're going to forever. First three records are fucking excellent. They're so good. And then, like, at a certain point, it just stopped being good, like, the more they sort of started, like, messing around, you know? But it is interesting. Like, it breaks down how, like, Pearl Jam's first record is essentially a perfect debut. You know, they're like, you listen to the first track, and within 20 seconds, you 100% hear everything that that band's going to do. Um, and like how there's something about that that you like sort of can't deny about just how quickly they were able to put out their entire aesthetic in that first like 20 or 30 seconds of the very first song on their first album. Yeah, for sure. The, I mean, honestly, I can only name like two grunge bands and it's Pearl Jam and Nirvana. <laughs> so yeah, what other ones yeah. are mentioned? Um, so they, they actually talk about how like generally there's like a big four. It's Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. Oh, that makes um, sense. Yeah, you know, but it, it, the the thing that it sort of lays out is that, like, you know, grunge was basically a sound that developed in the clubs of, you know, mostly Seattle, you know, generally in the Northwest in the sort of mid-80s is when it started, like early to mid-80s. And then by the time Cobain died, it was pretty much already over. Um, so it's interesting that this entire genre of music basically only existed for about 10 years. And was only really super relevant for about three of those years. <laughs> you know, but that like everything that came after grunge was in some way influenced by it, if it was in that same sort of vein. And then it's, it's in general a music 
that influenced more things than it really even was popular in its own right. And there's not too many other styles of music that have like quite done that. Yeah, I mean, it gave every bar band who has a singer who can't really sing, they do like a fucking Eddie Vedder impression. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> right. It talks about that, how like there are so many shitty Pearl Jam ripoffs that tried to sort of capitalize on it and really never could. And how there was this weird period in the 90s where like every shitty band like that was getting major label deals. Um, that it was sort of a perfect storm for like the music industry and for culture and that like literally the week before Nirvana happened, you know, with, with smells like teen spirit, like the biggest bands in the world were like warrant and Bon Jovi and things that were like so manufactured and polished. And here this band comes along that is like anything but that, that is like so ultra casual and that how Pearl Jam basically, as soon as they got famous, then spent the rest of their career intentionally sabotaging my own fame that's an interesting point that makes because it makes me wonder now if we're going to be in for a revival of like raw music at some point because everything is so fucking polished now i mean obviously there's all kinds of music now but as far as mainstream music it is the most polished it has ever been i think that's true i think even the things that are trying to seem less polished are certainly more polished like i think bonnie bear is a good example of that you know, his whole origin story is that that first record was like made in a cabin by himself when he was all depressed. And but you listen to it and it's like, well, yeah, that's sort of true. But it's also <laughs> like clearly like didn't come out of nowhere either, you know. Right. It's like very. Yeah, it's it's crafted. He, yeah. he had the, the skills. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. He already had the skills. Like it didn't it didn't it, it wasn't like he completely came out of nowhere. He had played in bands before like. He had clearly had some seasoning as a musician before that right. seemingly just fell out of him, you know? Right. You could argue Nirvana had none of the skills. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like that was the appeal of it. And, you know, Cobain's sort of whole thing was like, I'm not speaking for anyone. Like, I'm just kind of doing what I'm doing. And like, you guys are the ones that are like assigning, you know, something to it. Nirvana was originally put on Headbangers Ball because MTV didn't know what to do with grunge. They were like, is this metal? Is it pop? And the answer, of course, is yes. It's both of those things. Yeah. So the first time that Nirvana was on Headbangers Ball, Kurt Cobain showed up in a dress. And they're like, it's hard to like really state just how subversive that was. That here, like the biggest, coolest band in the world went on the biggest metal TV show in the world. And the singer was like, what? It's a ball. I wore a dress. And how like, <laughs> that just completely made the entire idea of like being a cool metal guy seems so fucking stupid yeah well it definitely is so fucking stupid like, yeah exactly right and that's exactly the point is it is absolutely 100 stupid and here kirk Cobain completely called them on it and became a god for it rightfully so yeah especially at that time it was like the metal guys were like the most manufactured with all their hairspray and shit now metal guys are just kind of like grungy dudes or whatever but right that's the thing is that grunge has sort of just infiltrated so many other styles that, that makes sense i didn't really thought yeah. put that together that's yeah why. i hadn't either that's why that's why the, the book was interesting i mean it's it's a good title accidental revolution it was all these people who in a lot of ways were just kind of doing what they were doing like, they didn't really have much of an agenda and really the world came to them and not the other way around. 
God damn, that's giving me yeah. goosebumps. <laughs> I know it's it's sort of wild to think about, right? Like the other thing that I think is different now is that of course we have the internet where like people can choose to seek out their own things, but I think that like it's hard to divorce the rise of grunge in the early '90s with sort of the consolidation of radio that happened from basically like the late nineties on. Right. Like I recently saw a thing about how basically there was a, there was a communication act passed in the like late nineties and it was like 96 or 97 that basically allowed groups like clear channel to just start gobbling up radio stations. And that once they started doing that, you basically had one sort of like essentially corporate overlord who was the one that was deciding what music was played or not. So for a good period of time there, that was the only gatekeeper that really existed to break new music. And so, of course, something like Napster comes along in the early 2000s and totally turns that entire model on its head. That's yeah, that makes sense. I remember that the fucking <laughs> do you remember the first song you napstered? You know, it's interesting that we are here on this podcast, but I'm almost certain that the first one I napstered was actually every individual track on Sergeant Pepper by the Beatles. OK, that's a, that's a good young Harrison hipster pick. Yeah, because my parents were really into the Beatles when I was a kid, like we were raised on it. You know, but then, like, as I got older, I started to realize that, like, there were all of these records that I never heard. Like, I only ever heard, essentially, like, the greatest hits, you know, was, like, what my parents would play, right? Like, do you remember yeah. when the Beatles, you remember when the Beatles 1 came out? Oh, yeah, I had that. School? I mean, yeah, I remember, like, playing that, singing in the car with my parents and shit, because they're like, it's all the good ones. <laughs> do you remember the first time you, like, understood the concept of, like, a record and not just individual songs? It was Pink Floyd's The Wall. My parents like intentionally showed me that. They're like, this yeah. is a whole thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember like having a similar experience with, you know, certainly The Wall and Dark Side of the Moon and a lot of that Beatles stuff. Like I remember reading about, you know, on the early internet about how like, you know, Sgt. Pepper was sort of constructed as this whole sort of thing, you know, not just individual songs. So then I remember like trying to find the whole album on Napster and you really couldn't do that for a while you know they didn't really have like full albums as zip files the way that like you can torrent one of those now so i remember like right. going sort of track by track and then like, basically piecing together entire records oh yeah and like the quality rate would be all over the place like all, trying to all over match the place it up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, is this one live? This one sounds live. And it was really just someone actually recorded the CD or something. Yeah, like someone like basically like put like a tape recorder next to like a boombox. <laughs> right. That was what they uploaded. Yeah, for sure. I remember going to Circuit City and buying like the whole like the tower. Spindle. The spindle. Yeah. That's exactly it. I was trying <laughs> to search for that goes. word in my brain. The fucking spindle of <laughs> CD. Yeah, and then you write on them with a Sharpie, you know, like what they were. And then I had like a binder of of CDs that I like essentially downloaded piecemeal off of Napster. And I feel like Napster is the one that we use, but I definitely remember other ones too, like Kazaa and LimeWire and all that nonsense. Those were slightly later. They were the lift to Napster's Uber, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that nails it. Oh, my God. You're absolutely Napster was correct. definitely 
the yeah the the flagship one the one that kicked it off first one first full album i ever took off an napster was blink 182's the mark tom and travis show oh i mean perfect so perfect. yeah fucking i <laughs> they put that album on spotify recently i feel like they edited a couple of things out of it if you remember that album <laughs> Well, because there were skits on it, right? Yeah, they would do a lot of jokes, and they did a lot of stuff, yeah, that would would not have aged well. <laughs> that was really, like, the golden age of skits on records. And it wasn't just, like, Blink-182. Like, I definitely remember a lot of those, like, Eminem and Dr. Dre records having, like, skits on them, like, like bits. Yeah, for sure. It was Yeah, it's kind of a thing people don't do anymore. Like, you have to be extremely serious. But at the time, people were making jokes and shit in between songs. Well, in a weird way, I think that, like, the whole file sharing, you know, Napster thing, in some ways was directly the consumer's way of rebelling against skits filling up records. Some of those Eminem records, like the Marshall Mathers LP and the Eminem Slim Shady LP – They'd have like 22 fucking tracks on them, <laughs> but only like 15 actual songs, you know? They were charging you like $20 when you only really wanted to hear like two songs, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I feel like CDs used to be more expensive, and then they all became $9.99. There was a weird period of time where they used to come out with CD singles. Where it'd yeah. be like seven or eight dollars, and it'd be like the main single, and then like eight B sides, you know, or like remixes or whatever the hell it was, you know. But yeah. that wasn't very good either. Yeah, but I'm it, they got a lot more album art out that way. There was always <laughs> the single on it. <laughs> they certainly did. It music is such a, a weird thing that eventually, as a society, we were just like, hey, you know what? It needs to be free. <laughs> We've said the same thing about news as well. That's true. That is true. You know, and, and just content in general. Like As soon as the idea that you could just basically get the content if you really tried hard enough to search for it online, as soon as that idea came out, I feel like all bets were sort of off. You know. You think – are there people still pirating music even though it's totally not necessary anymore? You could get Spotify for free. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. You can just look at like Pirate Bay right now. I mean, there's still, you know, a couple thousand people who are torrenting, you know, the new Run the Jewels and Taylor Swift and whatever. Streaming still kind of fucks over the artists. Like, you know, they pay them like fractions of a penny per listen, which is absurd. I got one song on Spotify. I had like 4,000 plays and they sent me $7. But... Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, even I mean, four thousand places. That's that's not actually too bad. Yeah, it was kind of arbitrary um, because at the time we just named the song Robert Pattinson just because he was in Twilight, and we thought that was funny, and it somehow led to like a bunch of plays in like Brazil. So what you're telling me is that you, as a person and an artist, have really not evolved very much at all. No, not at all. Every the more I, yeah, fucking reminisce on everything I've done. It's yeah, I've been standing still for a while. It's coming up. Yeah, because now we're gonna have random people in Brazil listening to this, <laughs> thinking that it's a podcast about the fucking Beatles, and it's just gonna be the two of us, you know, reminiscing about how we used to, you know, download shit off of Kazaa and LimeWire. Yeah, I mean, if they made it this far, it's on them. <laughs> 
I sort of agree, man. I mean, because this is going to be easily, what, 20 episodes that we're in now? Yeah, this has got to be, uh, it's deep double digits. Yeah, man. For anyone still listening, um, thank you. And also, you're a fucking idiot. Go put on something better. Yeah, why? Why are you still here? You know, the record industry just got so arrogant about, like, what it was they were actually bringing to the table, you know? Um so, yeah, in a lot of ways, I think everyone agrees that it was kind of their fault, you know, because then iTunes came along and I was like, yeah, if you guys would have gotten your heads out of your asses, you all could have done this on your own. You know, it's it's just capitalism, man. I feel like we always end up talking about, like, how <laughs> capitalism fucks us up. Which is actually what we're renaming this podcast. It's just yeah. capitalism, man. <laughs> <laughs> actually, dude, if you really want to get some listeners, we should totally do that. Um, way, way more than our weird faux Beatles thing that we're doing right now. I know, but I think if we got those listeners, they'd be too smart for us. They'd be like, these guys are fucking idiots. So what have you been up to, man? I don't know about you, man, but I've just been over here listening to that new Taylor Swift record on repeat. Oh God, I I haven't actually listened to it. I just heard it's the best thing to happen to indie rock since Bonnie Vere. Bonnie Vere is on one of the tracks. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he, he he doesn't actually sing in falsetto. He sings in his like normal voice, and it's pretty excellent, man. I bet most people would not know it's him unless he put the featuring on the track. The other thing that I think like not a lot of people know, or at the very least, not a lot of like people who are just Taylor Swift fans know is that the reason that this record is as good as it is, is because she got one of the guys from the national to do most of it with her. Oh, do you know which one of them? Well, yeah, it's one of the Dessner brothers did most of the okay. production and the guitar and the piano. And then his brother did all of the string and like orchestral arrangements. And so it basically sounds like the last national record. Gotcha. Yeah. I have not, dove into it you're selling it pretty well well yeah so uh, with with all of that in mind if you like the national you will pretty much love this record and like there's a couple songs where like i could easily hear a baritone voice in there and not taylor swift <laughs> and that's totally okay with me man yeah that's uh that's interesting because is she sad in it i mean she's always sad but like is she like national sad like prozac sad yeah it's all in there <laughs> Like, all of the stuff that you'd expect from The National is very much in this Taylor Swift record, and it's just such a surprise because so much of her stuff has been, like, sort of annoying pop, and it's, like, her grown-up record, and she got the perfect, like, producer to do it with. I, I don't know if I'd call it annoying pop. Her, her older stuff was top of pop. It was, I mean, she ruled the radio for that one whole year. It was, oh. like, 1980-whatever when that that album came out yeah i mean longer than that i mean i'll be honest like you know i i did not like taylor swift at all prior to the 1989 record i thought that record was excellent like there it wasn't a surprise to me when ryan adams covered the entire thing track for track which in retrospect is kind of perfectly on brand for ryan adams isn't it yeah absolutely also this is the first time you've ever admitted to jumping on a bandwagon usually you'd be like yeah i was listening to t swift and she was like 11 just no, see, I didn't, I didn't like the stuff when she was 11. The stuff that she was coming out with when she was 11 was like kind of weird, like Dixie Chicks, like 
country pop, which is not my jam at all. Um, but I really liked 1989. I thought that was a really good record. I thought there were a couple songs on there that were like knockout, perfect songs. It, it totally makes sense that she was going to make like a more moody, national-esque indie rock record. And that's kind of what this is. Well, I'm I'm excited to see the other end of that collaboration where she starts doing the third verse on the national song. Yeah, right? Like that's totally common. Like when everyone can <laughs> tour again... I will absolutely buy tickets to go see the national opening for Taylor Swift. That's going to be a trip. Yeah, that's just that. I don't even know what venue they would put that in. It's going to have to be like an arena. It would have to be the Pepsi Center. And it's just funny because you know that if that does happen, it'll be about 80% like Taylor Swift fans. And then like 20% dudes like you and me just kind of getting drunk and like not having as much fun as we should be. Yeah, yeah. That's just gonna make a Taylor Swift concert less fun. Just a lot of dads with glasses. It was kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, I mean, Matt Berninger, the singer, the singer of the National, is like every sad dude that I know. Like, he's he's every one of my friends wrapped up into one person. Yeah, I would, I would definitely see that concert though. I think that would be one of the quickest sellouts of all time. Oh, like yeah. I think they would be doing like two nights in a row everywhere yeah taylor swift and the national will single-handedly bring back the touring live economy oh my hey we need we need some heroes yeah dude because that's the thing is like you know at some point you know next year or maybe even the year after that at the rate we're going there's gonna be big shows again you know and it's like the thing that i think we've talked about before is like is it gonna be the same as as it was like or will bigger acts like essentially have to play smaller arenas and i think the answer is that we're going to see more acts that maybe wouldn't have paired up before pair up again so that they can get like the bigger crowds that's yeah something i had not considered but it it does seem like it would work especially if you did have if all indie bands just start producing pop stars (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it makes sense anyway. Like I remember like last year, Lord did a stadium tour and the opening act for Lord was freaking run the jewels. God damn. To look at the audience, it would be so strange to see who was there. That's a weird crossover. It's a very weird crossover, right? But like at, at the same time, like it kind of makes sense that like, they played arenas when they came to Denver, they played the Pepsi Center which is what, like 20,000 people or whatever it is. So it, yeah. it's interesting that it's like they probably made the calculation. They're like, well, Lord can probably sell 80% of these on our own, so then we'll throw in like a different act that has nothing to do with Lord, but like will bring their own crowd as well. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, where it's going to be less like bands that make sense with each other and more like bands that will be there to sort of draw enough of their own crowds to like make sure that the place sells out yeah just a bunch of bands uh, touring with pop stars that they think that their fucking their fan base's girlfriends listen to or whatever <laughs> yeah dude, I, 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 i'm not gonna be surprised that surprised when stuff like that starts to happen there's not enough slubby dudes to fill arenas i guess why i want to be at whatever party lord and run the jewels met at like, yeah, did they do a song together or something? I don't or did think they, just they go... did. No. That's so nuts. 
you're probably right though they probably either like met somewhere and like got together or, or honestly more realistically it was probably like their management that met and was like yo let's make this money yeah i mean yeah realistically because i just can't imagine what world they were hanging out and they were like you know what we should hang out nonstop for like 90 days yeah i i do sort of love that like room like i would love to be a fly <laughs> on the wall and like killer mike just lights up a blot and hands it to lord and she's like feels weird about it like she gets essentially peer pressured into like smoking weed with fun with tools <laughs> i didn't even honestly know lord was still around i'm, I'm not gonna lie i mean uh, she she had a record a couple years ago it's been a minute for sure the last one i knew of was when south park was making fun of it so that was but i'm gonna be honest man if i was lord i'd be pissed that billy eilish stole my act oh yeah i mean it's pretty much the same thing just i mean they always do that though they just find a younger lady yeah from a, a record label standpoint it's way cheaper to get billy eilish than if you only got to pay the one the brother dude to produce the whole song <laughs> yeah, right. and like, you don't even need studio time they're just like cranking shit out in their like parents house it's kind of a right movie. yeah i don't know for sure but like i know that she did like the song for the bond movie that got delayed like a year i don't know for sure she recorded that like at a studio but i love to think that maybe they just recorded that in their bedroom along with everything else yeah i mean that is a cooler story but <laughs> it's a way cooler story it's a way cooler story whether it's true or not kind of doesn't matter <laughs> we did it everyone we made it to the end of the show we hope you enjoyed the ride as much as we did if you like what you heard today uh like subscribe smash the like button for us in as many places as you can think of give us a good old review or a bad old review it doesn't matter just review us yeah it doesn't matter who you vote for as long as you vote for us, everyone. You can find more info about the podcast as well as any upcoming live shows, which may or may not be happening soon, at okringo.com. And you could find all the juicy deets about us on our social medias. I'm at Not Made for TV. And I'm at Harrison Graham Sia. If you don't know how to spell that, Google it. There's this amazing thing called Google. You can learn about everything, including okay ringo at okringo.com and uh if you're ever interested in the music or who makes that that that's harrison um if, it was, if you're interested in who produces the podcast that's it's still harrison if you're interested in the only person to actually say anything funny on this it's 98 percent it oh no we just got sincere yeah yeah All i right. mean you know you gotta get real sometimes oh you want a hug or something no i'm good